This is what we're trying to answer for three weeks in December. We're trying to answer the question during this three-part Advent sermon series. The question up here, can Christmas still change our or your world? You know, I think Jesus came into our world to bring change. you believe that? He came to change the whole world, but He came to change my world. He came to change your world. And if you've met Him as your Savior, you know that He changes us. He brings transformation into our lives. And, and so we're trying to ask ourselves, going into the holiday season, on the season that we celebrate Christ coming into the world, and it's a season that we understand as, as Christians has pretty much been commandeered by everything other than um, the church world. Can Jesus still, through Christmas, come in and change the world? Can He still come and change our world? And, and we're trying to answer some questions to ask, to ask ourselves and ask you so we can say, yeah, He can change our world. So last week, Pastor Bruce came and preached, and, and i got to say this, and maybe I shouldn't, I don't want to embarrass him, but um, I thought Pastor Bruce did one of the most masterful jobs of using that text that we looked at with the wise men and Herod that I've ever heard. I said to him after, afterwards, I said, that was brilliant, the application of that sermon. And if you didn't listen to that message, you need to go online, get the podcast, and listen to that sermon. They're free. So just go on uh, portviewchurch.com, go to the, to the sermons and the podcasts, and listen to that. It was excellent. And in his sermon, he talked about keeping Jesus really first in Christmas. Could he be first in Christmas? He talked about how we can choose to worship Jesus first, like the, like the wise men did, or just indulge in our own cravings like Herod did, and looked at the different outcomes between the two. And what we found was that worshiping Christ first in Christmas can really change our worlds. That your world and my world can be different. We could still celebrate. But, that our, but our celebration can be different. And so we found out last week, that can, Jesus really, can Christmas still change our world? Yes, it can, we found. Now week two, we're going to ask ourselves the same question, but with a little different emphasis. Can Jesus still change our world? And today what I want to focus on is, is can Jesus still change our world in the area of, of giving and getting at Christmas? Or in other words, maybe ask this, should or does Jesus affect how we give or what we give, or, or how we view giving and getting at Christmas time. Now I want us today to be honest with ourselves. A lot of times we're not honest with ourselves. Anybody admit that sometimes we're not real honest with ourselves? I'm, I'm not. I don't, always, I don't like to see the truth a lot of times. And nor is this going to be a time of, of bashing and blasting, but it's a time of kind of, I want to see the truth about me and about Christmas, and about giving and getting. Now let's be honest as we think about this kind of idea of giving and getting at Christmas. And be honest with this, that when we think about Christmas, the main thing that dominates our thinking is buying gifts and getting gifts. Isn't that really true? We could maybe say it's not. But if you ask any child what Christmas is about, they'll tell you it's about getting gifts at Christmas. We were watching America's Funniest Home Videos the other night. And in that was a whole section of people getting gifts. And, and uh, one little girl was going on the tree, and that's a little teenager, and she opened up some box, and, and she was visibly upset, and it was the last box, and, and she starts just crying and says, But I wanted a phone! And all of a sudden you hear under the tree, ring, 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 and there's a phone wrapped, and she gets it, and she's elated, you know? And it was kind of interesting because I was watching what my boys and, and, and Josh said, that girl's a spoiled brat, she needs a spanking, something about like that. And I said, yes, it's working, I trained them right, they get it. 
you know. But the reality was, that girl was all about getting. She didn't get what she wanted. Christmas was spoiled for her if she didn't get what she wanted. But ask any adult, is it about getting? And, and generally we won't say it's about getting. We'll generally say it's about buying. Because we have a list. You have a list of all your relatives. You know the same as me. You say, do we really have to buy that person a gift? Come on. We're going to buy them something they don't want it. They're going to give us something we don't want it. Do we really have to? Or we say, you know, how much did I spend on this child? And how much did I spend? You do it your lists and the numbers next to each person. And, oh, wait, this one's $20 more. So we got to go this way, you know. And so when we are honest about it, Christmas, really the main thing that dominates our thinking is buying gifts and getting gifts. You know, I think that a lot of times in the church world, um, we have tried, and I know I have tried, to kind of fight this focus because giving and getting can become the focus and Jesus can be left out. But, and I think that's all right. I understand that thinking. But I think something we've done in the process of that is we've almost demonized giving at times. We make ourselves almost feel uncomfortable buying gifts for people at Christmas time. And we kind of are afraid to admit that, oh yeah, we did this and we bought that and yeah, that was a little bigger than it should have been or whatever. But we kind of in the church world at times demonized giving gifts. And I can understand how that's happened. But as we're being honest with ourselves today, I want us to really think that maybe that that approach of reacting against a culture focused on giving so much and kind of reacting against that and not wanting to admit that that's really what the focus has become, that maybe that we've been wrong, or at least we've been ineffective in our historical approach to giving and getting at Christmas. And I say that for this reason. Because we can't look honestly at Christmas, the Christmas story. We can't look honestly at even Christianity for that matter without seeing a huge emphasis on giving. That's really what the emphasis on Christmas is about. Christmas is really about God giving us the gift of His Son, isn't it? Isn't that what Christmas is about? For God so loved the world, finish it with me, that He gave His only Son, that whosoever believeth in Him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. We can all quote it. It's, about, it's, the, it's the foundation of the Christmas story. It's about giving. The first Christmas started and centered on God's gift of Jesus himself. The prophets had foretold that God would give this gift, this deliverer, the Messiah. And when the wise men, like what Pastor Bruce said last week, who the wise men are, we don't know. He said, it doesn't really matter. I like that. Because we don't know. I'm going to speculate. But when the wise men saw the sign in the sky, some kind of a star or something in the sky that was unusual, in fulfillment of the prophecies, and I believe inspired by the Holy Spirit, they came to worship. And the way they came to worship is they came by bringing gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. You know, giving is sown into the fabric of Christmas, and giving is sown into the fabric of Christianity. Do something with me this morning. Look at the person next to you and say, giving is a good thing. You believe that? Giving is a good thing. The kids are looking at mom and dad and saying, Mom and dad, giving is a good thing. Giving. Being generous is good. It's Christian. It's right. You know, two weeks ago I preached an entire sermon on just the topic of one word, a generosity. And I tell you this, if you didn't hear that one, go to the podcast and listen to it. 
because I really believe it was a message from the Spirit to our church. We talked about how we can be generous with our time, how we, we could and should be generous with forgiveness, how we should be generous with our resources and our money. When we look at Scripture, we understand that Christianity is really about giving generously. And Christmas reminds us about this core value of Christianity. In fact, when we read our Bibles, we see that one of the things that Scripture celebrates about Christians and celebrates about the early church is that they gave generously. In the second chapter of Acts, it it tells the story of of really how the early believers lived in relationship to, to giving and receiving. And it says something interesting. It said that those who had excess property and possessions, they sold their excess property and possessions and shared the proceeds with those in need. And it says this, something amazing that we can't say. It said that no one had any lack. No one had any need. And the scriptures point that out about those people. And basically what the scripture is doing is doing this. The Holy Spirit's applauding and saying, look it, they're doing it right. Look what they're doing. There's a reason why for 2,000 years we still read that. The Spirit of the Lord is saying, let's celebrate, let's applaud the people who are generous givers. They, they had excess stuff and they said, you know what, I don't need this property. I don't need these possessions. Somebody else has nothing. I have too much. I'm going to give. And we see that throughout Scripture. That's applauded and, and, and championed and, and instructed that that's how Christians should live. In 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul, writing to the Corinthian church, he commends a group of people. He commends the the Christian people from the area of Macedonia because he he talks about them in a way. He he says that that of all their good qualities they could have talked about, he talks about their generosity. And he talks about how the Macedonian people gave abundantly. Grab your Bible, if you would, with me this morning. And let's turn to the book of 2 Corinthians. Look at just a couple of verses, Second Corinthians chapter eight. Talking about these early believers who again are being this is what happened. The Spirit of the Lord is applauding them. That's why they're being pointed out. That's why they're they're um, immortalized in Scripture. Wouldn't you love it if it said something this that got God rewrote the Bible later and it said, and the people from Portview Church? And it was taught written about us. You know that we're still we can God's still writing the book in essence? 2 Corinthians chapter 8, look at the first four verses. It says, Now brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. In other words, they gave a lot. Verse 3, For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord. Begging us. Backwards, it seems like. The preacher wasn't begging the people. The people were begging the preacher to give. Begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. Look what it says about these early Christians. Again, it's, it's being applauded by the Holy Spirit. Because it's recorded in Scripture. It says these early Christians. And look how it describes them. It says they're afflicted. And they're impoverished. they got everything going against them. And it says, yet, what did they do? They begged, interesting that word there, they begged the Apostle Paul to let them give to the needs of the Christians in Jerusalem. That's who he's collecting this offering for. That's what the context is here. There's a group, the church in in, in Jerusalem, the Christians were impoverished because of a famine in the area. And Paul had been collecting money for them. And they begged for the opportunity, the privilege of participating in the offering. 
What I imagine happened is Paul came to these people and he saw how afflicted they were and he saw how poor they were and he probably wasn't going to say anything. He's probably going to say, you know, I'll get to the next group who's got more money. These people, man, they need an offering taken for them. And they said, wait a minute, time out. God's changed us from the inside out. And we want to be generous. And they begged him, please, I know we don't have a lot, but we want to give. And he says they gave beyond their abilities. And they begged for the opportunity to give. And so they're remembered in Scripture because they were people who gave willingly and people who gave abundantly. Do something with me again. Tell the person next to you again, giving is a good thing. Are you starting to believe that? Giving is a good thing. When we give, God somehow still writes down, I think, man, look at the generosity of that person. Look at the generosity of those people. Now, since giving is a good thing, let's, let's apply some things to our situation at Christmas. Since giving is a good thing, does that mean that our Christmas celebrations should be all about giving gifts? Does it mean that? Because we laid a foundation, giving is a good thing. Does that mean that Christmas, our, our celebration should all be about gifts and presents? And, and should the highlight, the, the, the apex of Christmas be Christmas morning, sitting around the tree, family in their pajamas, dad and mom with a cup of coffee because they can't keep their eyes open because the kids you know, got up so early because they had to see their presents. Watching little Johnny and little Susie tear gift wrap off of presents and open up boxes and go, clothes, you know, toys, yes. You know, is that, should that be the height? Since giving's a good thing, should that be the, the apex of Christmas? Because we celebrate giving. My honest answer? No. Christmas and Christianity are about giving. But I said we want to be honest today. Let's be honest, and I'll say it this way. Let's be intelligent. We can do that, right? Let's be honest and be intelligent. Let's be thinkers. And realize that the push, the, the cultural obsession to give excessively at Christmas, to buy the iPad you maybe can't really afford, or the new computer, or the video game, or the toys, or the whatever that you're saying, I just have to have... The, the, the push, that, that, that cultural obsession to excessively give at Christmas is fueled more by marketers than it is by the Holy Spirit. Even though giving is a good thing. That obsession to have to give a lot. That idea that says, somehow I'm not really celebrating Christmas genuinely unless I give a bunch is fueled more by marketers than by the Holy Spirit. The idea that giving gifts to family and friends at Christmas as a way here, as a way to celebrate Christ's birth. That that idea that that's the way to celebrate Christ's birth is a brilliant marketing strategy from retailers, but it's not an idea from the heart of God. You understand what I'm saying today? We're, we're just think, looking at it honestly. You know, Black Friday and Cyber Monday were not inspired by the Holy Spirit as a way to increase generosity in the church. Black Friday and Cyber Monday are marketing ploys to get as much money out of your wallet as possible. And it works. 
Because those things key on our human desire for more and more and fuel our consumeristic mindset that equates more stuff with a better life. That's what really consumerism is all about. It's saying that if I just get and buy more, I'll have, my life will be richer and better. And church, if we're honest and with ourselves, we understand that that's not really about Christianity or about generosity, that it's about greed and selfishness. So let's be honest and intelligent and admit that the combining of gift-giving now hang on before, before you jump to conclusions when I'm going to say the next sentence. We're not going to say giving is bad, right? Because what? Giving is what? Giving is good. Giving is a good thing. But let's be honest and intelligent. And admit that the combining of gift giving to family and friends with the celebration of Jesus' birth, combining those two things together, has always and will always result in an increased focus on giving and getting and a decreased focus on Jesus. Because that's just being human. When you combine those things together, it will happen all the time. The easy way to think of it is like this. It's really hard for us to see Jesus when he's standing behind Santa. Santa's a lot bigger, isn't he? It's hard to see Jesus when he's hiding or standing behind Santa. So let's be clear. For our own good. And understand that we do and will have to fight the constant stream of societal pressure that says that to really celebrate Christmas is to buy excessively. We will have to fight that constant stream of societal pressure in order for us to really come to know and find Jesus in Christmas. In fact, I would say this. It might be easier to see Jesus on any other given day than on Christmas morning because of the obsession and the focus on giving and getting gifts. It's harder to see Jesus on that day than any other day. But, I believe we can find and celebrate Jesus this Christmas. And here's what I want us to get today. All this has been leading up to this. That one of the best ways that we can find and celebrate Jesus at Christmas, one of the best ways is by using the emphasis on giving to our own advantage. By using this cultural obsession with giving, by using this push to give to our own advantage as followers of Jesus Christ. What do I mean? That we can make sure that we teach and we communicate and we model what we know to be really important about giving and its role in the Christian life during Christmas time because of the emphasis on giving. Moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, you know, what you teach those that you give to about giving by giving to them at Christmas time is more important than what you give. We can use it as an opportunity to teach and to model and to express what's really right about giving at Christmas. So what are the, some of the things that we know about giving, that we should try to reinforce this Christmas season. I just want to talk about two of them. There's probably a dozen. 
But I want to talk about two of them because I think there are things that this year, if you write these down somehow in, the, in your mind, you can say, I can address this somehow in the culture of my family celebration as a way to model and train and teach so that people in my family can, can gain something positive from the cultural obsession with giving. So let's talk about two. First one's this, that we should, we should think about. This Christmas season, we've kind of said it already, and it's this. Giving is a good thing. The first thing that we should celebrate and champion and talk about this Christmas season is that giving is a good thing. Especially important to talk about those who are only getting at Christmas. That giving is a good thing. I know I, I told my kids I try to never talk about them in church. You know, but I still do. Um, well, I try not to be negative about them in church, and I don't think I am. Because there's nothing negative to say about them. Um, <laughs> amen. Um, but one thing I've always said to them, they always say, Dad, what do you want for Christmas? And I always say the same thing. Don't get me anything. But you better make sure you buy your mom something. <laughs> right? <laughs> don't you dare buy me anything. There's not a thing in this world I want or need. But don't you dare forget to buy your mom a present on Christmas. Right? And they'd never forget. Because Dad reminds them. You know what? We need to celebrate the fact that giving is a good thing. We need to use the opportunity in, in, this, in this cultural push for giving to celebrate the fact and the train effect that giving is a good thing. Use the giving theme of Christmas to teach your kids and your grandkids and to remind yourself that it really is more blessed to give than to receive. Teach your kids that. Teach your grandkids that. Remind yourself it really is because the culture around us is pushing to say it's all about getting. Use the opportunity to teach them. At some point in your gift-giving time, and that might be Christmas Eve for some or Christmas morning for some or or however it is, at some point in your gift-giving time, make it a point to talk about giving. Make it a point to talk about how God gave Jesus to us. Make it a point that, that you write down that this Christmas season is not going to go another season where I'm not going to talk about the fact that God gave Jesus at Christmas. And take the time, in the gift-giving time, to thank God for His incredible, abundant blessings that He has poured into your life. And tell the people as you give that in fact the only reason you can give is because of the blessings that He has given you which now allow you to give gifts to them. That what we do at giving time is we, we give God the glory for the gifts that we are able to give knowing that ultimately it all comes from Him. It's a way of deflecting from mom and dad being the source and teaching that Jesus, that, that God is our source. We use the opportunity to do that. Use the gifts that you give as a springboard that allows you to remind the ones that you are giving to and listen. They will listen when you have a gift in your hand. <laughs> Won't they? Use that opportunity as you give because that, that, they're going to listen to remind them that Christianity is all about generosity and that as you give, you are simply imitating your Heavenly Father who gave everything to us. And what we're doing is we're, we're simply following in the footsteps of our Father when we give. Now I'm not saying that you need to set aside a time in the middle of present opening and say, wait, wait, I've got a sermon I'd like to preach. My three points this morning are, I'm not saying we have to give speeches. I'm saying this, 
that if we're going to have, if, if Christmas is going to really still change the world, that we need to take the opportunity to communicate that God is the greatest gift giver ever. And that as His children, we love to give also. And the only reason we can give is because He's blessed us. We can communicate that during the holiday season. And then, you know what? As we communicate that, then with joy-filled hearts, give. And I say this, give abundantly. No, I'm not saying to spend more than you can afford. That's a whole point I was going to do on its own, but I think we know that. We just don't like to listen to it. Don't spend more than you can afford. And I tell you this, moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas, be free from the marketing trap that tries to convince you that you must give excessively to really celebrate Christmas. You don't have to. But you know what? If you have resources, give. Give generously and enjoy it. Enjoy being a generous giver. If the scriptures are true to say it's more blessed to give than to receive, then allow yourself to feel the blessing of God, the smile of God, because you're like the Macedonian church. that They're saying, look it, we gave abundantly, and that makes God happy. Give to your friends, give to your families, and don't forget, give to those in need. That's why we have Christmas presents on the tree. If anything, it should remind us about the fact that Christmas, that there's a lot of people who have nothing. Almost nothing. And those of us who have abundance, Scripture is really clear. You know, it just simply says, if you have, give. Give to those in need. Pure and undefiled religion in the sight of God is to visit widows and orphans in their distress and stay unstained by the world. It says, you know what, when you have resources, give. If you have two coats, give somebody one. It's just talking about when you have abundance. Share it with those who don't. So you know what? Don't spend more than you can afford. But give within your parameters generously and enjoy it enjoy sitting back and watching your kids get all excited when they open a present that's an alright thing that sound alright? sound good? that's the first thing about giving and the way to change our world but there's another one I said we're going to do two this is the second one the thing that we should understand and communicate about giving and receiving this Christmas and it's this kind of the other side of the coin Use the opportunity to communicate. But first you've got to understand it. That getting something, no matter how nice it is, will not give someone lasting happiness or fulfillment. Use the opportunity of giving. To communicate that getting something, no matter how nice it is, will not give someone lasting happiness. It won't happen. We need to understand. We need to help our kids and our grandkids to understand that stuff doesn't make a person happy. Even though every media source around them tells them exactly the opposite. If you just get this, your life will be wonderful. Now you might say, Pastor Mark, why in the world would you want to focus on this during a time when people want to make others happy by giving them gifts? You said give and give happily. Then why would you want to also turn the coin over and focus on the fact that now what I gave you is not going to make you happy? I'm glad you asked me that question. Here's a reason, very important reason why. Because I don't want you to set yourself or others up for a letdown. And I want to tell you a fact of what's going to happen at Christmas around some of your trees in some of your houses this year. Your kids are still going to fight and argue even though you bought them everything on their wish list. 
In fact, they're going to take some of the toys you bought them and hurt each other with them. They're going to hit each other with them. They're going to shoot each other with them. They're going to do something with them. They're going to break the other one's toy on purpose. It doesn't change anything. And understand, this is a fact, that your marriage will not be strengthened by a diamond bracelet. It won't be. Because you can't buy someone's heart. Now, I'm not opposed to diamond bracelets. Opposed to buying them, maybe, but I'm not opposed to them. But don't believe that a diamond bracelet or a new car or the whatever will strengthen your marriage because it will not. Let's understand something, church. Let's be intelligent this morning and let's be honest. That contrary to our culture's beliefs, that stuff does not satisfy us. And let's do a favor for our children. And let's help our kids to learn this. And not be, not be uh, trapped by the lie of the society around us that says you can find fulfillment in stuff. Because you can't find fulfillment in in stuff. Let's help our kids come to learn this early so they won't do what so many of us have and waste our lives chasing after something that's elusive. They say, if I just get more, then I'll finally be happy. You won't. I don't care what you get. Draw the perfect picture of the perfect life with all the perfect stuff. You get there and you say, but I'm the same person. Let's help our kids be free from that. You know what? Grab your Bibles again. I want you to do something. If you don't underline verses in the Bible, I want you to underline a verse this morning. Turn to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 27. Go look at one verse and you go, that's not a very Christmassy verse. It's not. It's a human verse. As you're turning to Proverbs 27, let me give you the same thing I say to you every time I read a proverb. There's about 31, there's 31 Proverbs and there's 30 to 31 days in almost every month. February is an exception. But if you will read a proverb every single day, it will change your world. Matter of fact, I will say this. I will say the divorce, I'll declare without any qualms, the divorce rate in the church will decline if people will read a proverb every single day. You know why? Especially for you men, especially for you young men. This is written for young men primarily, but it's written for all of us. Guess what it's going to talk about? It constantly talks about um, adultery. It constantly talks about pure hearts. It constantly talks about not going the wrong way. And if every single day God is keeping you on the path by simply reading His wisdom, it will keep you from making dumb decisions in your life. You will not be able to walk into sin when you're constantly brought back on check. You know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to stop reading. Or you're going to have to choose to change. So, sale for Proverbs. I believe in Proverbs. Proverbs 27, verse 20. Give an odd verse you're going to say for Christmas, but let's read it. And mine says it this way, and yours are going to say it a little bit different maybe. I have the New American Standard. Mine says, shoal and abandon are never satisfied. Now some of yours say, like NIV, NIV, death and destruction are never satisfied. Some of yours say, the New King James I think says, hell and destruction are never satisfied. You're saying, you know, that, that, that those things are never satisfied, there's never enough. But then the second part, the second sentence is the part I want to focus on. It says, nor are the eyes of a man ever satisfied. Nor are the eyes of a man ever satisfied. Um, it, it says in Ecclesiastes, it's kind of similar, your eyes are never satisfied and your ears are never filled. It says the eyes of a man are never satisfied. You know what this is talking about? It's talking about human nature. It's speaking to the fact 
that enough is always just a little bit more. How much is enough? Just a little bit more. There is no enough in the world. That there is no satisfaction in stuff. Because there's always more stuff to get. That it's a never-ending cycle. That there will never be a day that your eyes will say, I've seen it all. I'm full. I don't want to see any more. Reviewing this sermon last night, it was so funny because I was reviewing this um, in my office last night and I came in earlier than I normally do and the sun was just setting. And I hadn't got to this part yet of reviewing my sermon, but my windows were open in my office here and I was looking off to the, the southwest and I don't know if any of you looked at last night at the sunset, but it was gorgeous. There were all these beautiful pink-red clouds in the sky. And I literally, and I, I can't see that well without my glasses, and my glasses were on my desk. And I went and I grabbed my glasses and I put them back on. And I sat there and I looked out the window. And I thought, wow, that is beautiful. I just watched this clouds going by. And it was kind of cool because it was like one funnel that was like that. And then it wasn't like it over here, over here. And I'm just looking at the clouds going by and it was just gorgeous. It's like somebody painted the sky. And I suddenly remembered the verse that was in my sermon. I thought, the eye never says enough. Take me to the next spot. I want to look at it again. Take me to the mountains. I want to see them. Take me to the lakes. I want to see them. You know, I never wake up someday and say, oh, my eyes said, I've seen enough. Don't really care to see anymore. That's what this is talking about. But it's going beyond just your eyes. It's talking about human nature. It says, never will there come a day when you or your kids or your spouse says, you know what? This stuff has finally completely satisfied me. Perfect Christmas. Everything I'm completely satisfied it doesn't happen because it's impossible because the eye never says enough stuff will never bring satisfaction into your life let's help our kids because a lot of us some of us are still on that treadmill we're still believing that lie that it's true because the world has painted that picture you believe it's true and the sooner you understand it's not true and you communicate to your kids it's not true the sooner they can be free from that lie too that says I just have to try to get more and more and more stuff because, friends, enough is always just a little bit more. And here's what we can do to change our world, our worlds. We can use the obsession with giving and receiving at Christmas to talk about how after the boxes are open, people will be the same. Life will be the same. And only Jesus satisfies. Use the opportunity to say, isn't that a great, you know, the, my favorite Christmas movie is The Christmas Story with the guy with the Red Rider BB gun. I've already watched it once this year. I have. Has anybody else watched it once this year? Thank you, John. Okay, I see those hands. I see those hands. <laughs> it's my favorite. But you know what? A couple days later, in real life, because I got a Red Rider BB gun when I was a kid. That's why I love it. couple days later, maybe a couple weeks later, the red wire wasn't quite powerful enough. I needed a CO2 pellet gun. You know me and guns. And then it had to be a 22. And then it had to be a shotgun and a deer rifle. And now Brett got this cool new deer rifle from my dad this year. And I'm like, man, I really want that one. <laughs> I said, Brett, I might sell my, my 270 and buy your... Well, he goes, you can't buy one like I have. I said, oh, I can. <laughs> you know... <laughs> Why? Because enough is never enough. Why don't we just train our kids and teach ourselves that, to, 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 to use this obsession with giving and receiving at Christmas to talk about the fact that after the boxes are open and the things aren't new anymore, that people will be the same. 
that your life will be the same and only Jesus satisfies. Can you imagine the blessing in your family? The blessing in individuals' lives if you help your family and your friends to understand that point this Christmas? I'm not saying the second opener gifts say, Ha! That thing won't satisfy you! But three days later, or five days later, when the thing they had to have is broken, how many of you have bought a Christmas present and you're just ticked? You bought it and the kids break it in five minutes or a day or three days. And you go, I can't believe they broke it already. Take the opportunity to say, you know what? It didn't satisfy. Or when they had to have the latest 3G whatever and now it's 4G, and pretty soon it's going to be 5G and 12G and whatever else comes after that. And they have it for, for two months or three months or six months. And they had to have it or they were going to die. And you, can, you, you live where I live. You heard to say, have to have the same things. And you feel the same way. I'm going to die if I don't have it. And all of a sudden you realize it's outdated already. Use the opportunity. Use the, the obsession with giving and receiving to take the opportunity later after the boxes are opened and it's not the new thing anymore to say, now, did that really bring you any satisfaction? Made you happy for a little while? And then use that to launch into the fact that only Jesus satisfies. Church, we wrap this up this morning. We have it the best. We know Jesus, the Christ of Christmas. And we get to celebrate his birth together at Christmas time. We get the opportunity to give generously and to thank him for his goodness so that we have that ability to give generously. And we can understand, and we do understand, I hope, that he satisfies in a way that nothing else can. You know what? We have all the makings for the merriest of Christmas. Amen? Can Jesus still change our world? You bet He can. One life at a time, one family at a time. It starts with you and me using the opportunities that Christmas provides to guide our families into God's truth. So you know what? Let's not whine about it. It is what it is. Let's use it to our advantage to help us become what God wants us to become and rise above just the cultural buzz and get something much greater, much more eternal, and much deeper out of Christmas. Amen? Amen. 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 Would you stand with me this morning?